So this here's the cold opening to the episode, folks. This is the segment. This is the part. This is the moment in which I would usually tell some kind of joke or say something really stupid. And believe me, I excel at saying things that are quite stupid. But honestly, I found myself in a bit of a pickle this week, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm kind of recording this episode at the last minute. I didn't have time to go out and look for a joke. I didn't have time to scour the internet, going through all the stupid jokes that are out there, finding the one, the choice joke that makes me laugh a little bit in my heart, and then give me that sense of joy that makes me want to share that joke with you. So I apologize. I know that in the end, The one thing that you really look forward to in all of my podcast episodes are the dumb things that I say right here at the beginning. And frankly, if you want to leave and go find another podcast, I can't blame you at all. I mean, I'll be angry and I'll probably cry a bit when I go to bed at night and toss and turn and not be able to sleep and possibly drown in my own tears. But I don't want you to worry about that. I did not have a joke for you guys today. And frankly, I am deeply ashamed. Let's just do the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host, My name is Steven. This is the podcast that tells it like it is. I have all the dirt on, well, nothing. This is this is a show where I talk about comics and books and TV and all that fun stuff. The nerdy little things that makes my heart flutter like a hummingbird that's just taken a great big bunch of some kind of drug like meth. I don't know. I should probably not talk about drugs. That's probably not something I should be talking about. Shame on me. Good Lord, I forget the joke. I talk about meth. What is wrong with me? Nothing. Nothing's wrong with me, folks. This is just how I am when I don't prepare. So hey, WandaVision is over, right? We're all sad about that. We all enjoyed it. At least I hope we did. I know that there's a bunch of folks out there that came up with their own theories and determined for themselves how the show should end and are upset that the writers didn't consult them about the ending and didn't include certain things that they felt needed to be included in the show. I mean, I find that's a little crazy, I guess, if you want to do that. I do enjoy coming up with theories and wondering how things are going to end and and opening myself to expectations. But I always find that whatever I come up with is not going to be what they come up with. And frankly, if I get it all right, I'm usually pretty disappointed. I, I, I end up sitting there going, really? That's what you went with? I mean, I thought of that. So what do they pay you guys for? So I think it's kind of amusing that people can be upset over expectations like that. But that's not what I'm here for. Throughout the airing of WandaVision, I tried to touch upon a couple of the comics that, well, in some roundabout way dealt with the show. I did a few, and by a few, I mean two, of my first episodes. I did the Scarlet Witch's first appearance in an X-Men issue, and I did the Vision's first appearance in an Avengers issue. And today, I want to do 
Captain Marvel's first appearance. And I'm talking about Monica Rambeau. You remember her from the show, right? She was awesome. She started to get some powers. I was slightly disappointed that we didn't get to see her use her full extent or the full extent of her powers. She didn't come into her own during the show. But guess what? It wasn't her show. So to have the expectation that we are going to see Captain Marvel do her thing in that show, and they wouldn't call her Captain Marvel in the show because they already have a Captain Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But we're going to see her in Captain Marvel too. I don't know what they're going to call her. I think at this point in the comics, she's called Photon. I'm not quite sure. I haven't followed her career since the 80s. But when I was reading the Avengers back in the the mid to late 80s, she was one of the members of the team. And she went by Captain Marvel. And for me, she is Captain Marvel. I was not reading comics when the original Captain Marvel was around. So I was not there when he was introduced. I was not there when he died. And I stopped reading comics before the current Captain Marvel became Captain Marvel. So for me, Monica Rambeau is Captain Marvel. And it it hurts me a little in my heart whenever I pick up a book and I see her referred to as Photon or or whatever name she may have been given at some point in her career. But I guess it's Photon now. I'm not sure. I didn't look into it. But we're going to look at her first appearance, which actually happened in an issue of The Amazing Spider-Man. It was an annual, to be exact, Amazing Spider-Man annual number 16. This was published on December 1st of 1982. It was written by Roger Stern, pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by John Romita Sr. The colorist was Stan Goldberg, and the letterer was Jim Novak. So we open the issue in a bus terminal. Peter is there to meet Harry and Liz Osborne. They're coming back from a trip or their honeymoon or... I don't know. It's not really important. In fact, Spider-Man, even being in this book, his part in this story, it's not really all that important either. I mean, he does have a part to play, but it could have been done by most any other character. I feel like the only reason that we are being introduced to the character of Captain Marvel for the first time in an Amazing Spider-Man annual is because Spider-Man was probably, this was probably one of their top selling books at the time. And to get eyes on a new character that they really wanted to promote, it made sense to put it into a book or put them into a book that a lot of people were reading. That's the only reason I feel Spider-Man is even involved in this in any way. So as Peter is walking through the bus terminal, he passes Monica Rambeau. He's going one direction. She's going the other direction. And his spider sense goes off and he can't quite figure out why. He can tell that this woman, Monica Rambeau, is the reason his spider sense is going off. But he can't quite understand why, because darn it, she's just freaking hot. She's good looking. She's a babe. She's a fox. She's stunning. Why would his spider sense be tingling from a good looking babe? He just can't figure it out. Seems pretty stupid to me, Peter, that you're just automatically judging this woman by her looks. Now, yes, we know she is a good guy. We know that in retrospect, in hindsight, we know that. But for him to just assume, holy crap, my spider sense is going off. It's coming from this woman, but she can't be any kind of danger because she's a pretty foxy chick. That just seems pretty stupid to me, right? I mean, good looking people can be evil too, right? (laughs) You know? 
It just seems dumb. But he decides to follow her. He looks at his watch. He sees that it's going to be a bit before Liz and Harry's bus shows up. So he's going to go ahead and follow her into the city. So he ducks into an alley and he changes into his costume. She's strolling along. She's not in a good neighborhood. A couple of street thugs decide that they're going to, you know, do what street thugs do and they steal her purse. She chases after them. They duck down an alleyway and she just commences to kick in both their butts. Spider-Man shows up as one of them is running away and he knocks the guy out. And then he approaches Monica from behind as she's standing over the other thug whose butt she thoroughly kicked. And he creeps up from behind her and he says, hey lady, you handle yourself pretty. And that's about as far as he gets. She spins around, puts both palms against his chest and an energy shoots out of her palms and it shoots him across the alleyway. He's dazed, stars are flashing around his head, and she realizes, holy crap, that's Spider-Man. I didn't mean to do that. I thought he was the other attacker coming up from behind me. And she looks him over and she goes, ah, he's going to be okay. I think he's going to be all right. Then she decides, you know what? I might as well get out of this pantsuit because she's wearing a pantsuit. She says it's all dirty and ruffled anyway from me kicking some butt. And there's a big amount of energy that makes a noise Choom, C-H-O-O-M, and suddenly she's in her Captain Marvel outfit. Basically, the pantsuit just explodes off of her, and she's in her Captain Marvel outfit, and it's kind of funny because they go out of their way a bit. I don't know that they do this as much anymore, and they didn't do it. I don't remember them doing it a lot back then either, but every once in a while, they would try to show you how it's possible that a hero can have a secret identity and wear a costume under their clothes and 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 whatnot because she's got these big, long, thigh-high white boots on, high-heeled boots. And the first thing she does is she crouches down and she folds the top of the boots down because that's how she wears them as Captain Marvel with the tops of the boots folded down so they have these big 80s cuffs on the tops of them. Well, that would have stood out under her pantsuit. So she pulls them all the way up when she's wearing the costume under her civilian clothes. And then she pulls them down, or at least the tops down, when she's out of her civilian attire. She pulls on her gloves and her mask, telling herself that she still feels relatively uncomfortable wearing this getup in public, which leads us to believe that, you know, if we're reading this for the first time, whoever this character is, they're fairly new. This is not, this is obviously not their first time, but... They're not as used to doing this. Her gloves are actually attached to her sleeves. She pulls them on and she says, at least it has a pocket. She's talking about her costume. At least it has a pocket for me to stash my keys and my cash. And so in one of her big, she has like these wings basically that drape down below her arms. One of them has a big pocket that she can put her her stuff in. So Spider-Man kind of comes to just as she takes off. And the way she takes off, she basically turns into uh, a beam of light and shoots off across the city. And he, of course, he he sees it happen and he goes, oh, I must still be punchy. I could have sworn I saw a lady in a funky costume turn into a bolt of lightning, but that's impossible. Is it impossible, Spider-Man? Come on. Well, he does then correct himself. Yeah, so are grown men who stick to walls. It just, this again, this is one of these time frames in Marvel comics where 
the comics have been going on for a while. I mean, this is what, 1981 is what I said. The Marvel Universe has been a thing for a bit, and it just always surprises me when I read some of these older books. And people act surprised when they encounter somebody who can do superpowered things, especially when it's somebody with the proportionate strength and speed of a spider. So we go to the top of the Empire State Building. The woman is now standing there in her costume. She's got energy crackling around her. And we are now introduced to her as Captain Marvel. And this is where we get her backstory. As she's standing up there, she's reflecting to how she got her powers. It was only a few weeks ago. It was in the city of New Orleans where she lived and she worked for the Harbor Patrol on the banks of the Mississippi. We learn that her name is Monica Rambeau. She's a lieutenant. She goes into her boss's office and wants to know why she was passed over for a promotion to captain. And her boss is telling her that it's because her methods are a little unorthodox. He prefers his men to go by the book. And she responds with, your men? That's the real issue, isn't it? You don't want to see a woman in charge of a patrol boat. He gets all upset by the accusation and he dismisses her. She leaves. She's really upset. She goes back to her office and she finds this old man waiting for her. His name is Professor Andre Leclerc. He is a friend of her grandfather's. They were together in the war. She knows the name. Her grandfather always spoke highly of him. And he tells her that he works in advanced physics. And he's considered a bit of a crackpot. He has this theory about drawing energy from other universes and other dimensions. And nobody would fund his research until he finally got some funding from a South American dictator. They set up this lab on an oil platform in the Gulf of Mexico, and he learns that, of course, this South American dictator wants to use his research and turn it into a weapon. So he had to flee. He had to get away. He would not be a part of it. This South American dictator, however, he just replaced him with another dude, a Felipe Pacaro, who was... Leclerc's former assistant, and he feels like something needs to be done about it, but nobody in any authority will listen to him. Nobody in the American government, the army, whatever. And he's basically at his last straw, which is Monica. She's not really sure what he wants her to do, but she's the only one that he can come to. So they get on a boat and they go out into the Gulf of Mexico and they approach this oil platform. She's got a plan. And it's really kind of a silly plan. She has him hide below decks. She brings the boat up alongside the oil platform. There's all these South American soldiers up there along the railings. And they're telling her, you can't tie your boat off here. Take off. And she stands up. She's wearing a robe. She stands up and she kind of takes her robe off. She opens it up a little to reveal that she's wearing a very revealing two-piece bikini. And one of the soldiers in his head goes, Caramba. And another soldier says, uh, Sergeant, couldn't we make an exception? And then that's when Picaro shows up and he goes, by all means, Sergeant, escort the young lady to the pad at once. She, okay, I left that part out. She tells them that when the oil platform was being run by the Roxxon Oil Corporation, they used to let her come in all the time and have her picnics on the helipad of the oil platform. And she wants to know if they'll let her do 
the same. And this guy, Picaro's like, escort the young lady to the pad at once. I will accept full responsibility. And so they bring her on board. She and Picaro have a little picnic on the helipad, surrounded by soldiers with freaking motorcycle helmets on and guns. I, I don't know why they're wearing motorcycle helmets, but they are. <laughs> Maybe it's just easier at that point to draw a bunch of soldiers if they're all wearing helmets. I'm assuming they're like, it's like, it's more like riot gear, but they're, they're white and they have face shields. Well, the alarm goes off and we discover that Leclerc had left the boat, crept onto the oil platform and was checking things out and he got caught. It's here that Pacaro learns that Monica is with him and they're basically standing before the big machine that he's created that's going to pull energy from other worlds and other dimensions. And Monica decides to take it out the only way she knows how. She elbows Picaro in the stomach, runs over to the machine and just starts beating on it with her fists. Well, it cracks open and then it explodes. With the explosion comes this streak of light that arcs from the oil platform to shore, to the docks on the shore. And the light congeals into human form and it's Monica. She's still got a robe on. She's a little disoriented. She doesn't know where she's at. She approaches one of the buildings on the dock. She's she's trying to find the professor. She's disoriented. She's dizzy. She goes into the building. She realizes that she's no longer on the oil platform. She finds a radio with a microphone, you know, a CB radio, and she starts trying to broadcast to anybody. Mayday, mayday, all stations, please copy. And we see behind the radio that it's not only is it unplugged, there's wires hanging out of it. It's it's a broken radio. But energy comes out of her into the microphone and it shoots her emergency broadcast into this big ship, like the, a Coast Guard ship out in the Gulf of Mexico. And it's so it's so powerful that there's a guy sitting at the radio station with headphones on and you, you see her her distress call coming out of the headphones in these big letters. Mayday, mayday. And he goes, yeah, and he pulls the headphones off and he can hear just clear as clear as a bell with the headphones laying there on the counter. Emergency aboard Broxon Oil Tower number 25. And he says, OK, OK, acknowledge. Lordy, what kind of power is she using? So once she realizes, you know, she got her acknowledgement back, she starts looking around her surroundings and she goes into another room and she's in a storage warehouse that is storing racks of costumes that must have been left over from Mardi Gras. And she needs to get into some kind of clothes. She's just wearing a freaking bikini with a robe and she's hoping she can find something that's a little less revealing. And she pieces a couple of things together and in the end creates the Captain Marvel costume. She heads back out to the docks. She's thinking about the professor and how she needs to help him. And just by thinking about it, she's suddenly transformed into light once again. And she is traveling once again as a beam of light arcing across the sky. And in an instant, She's back on the oil platform. There's lightning and junk shooting out of the top of the platform. There's soldiers laying around unconscious, maybe even dead. The helipad is just all cracked and broken. And she makes her way down into the room where the machine was, where Picaro is yelling at Leclerc. She sees this energy coming from the machine. It's like this opening, this window has been opened into another world where energy is coming out. Picaro shoots the professor, but doesn't kill him. She uh, kicks 
Picaro once again in the stomach. She elbowed him in the stomach earlier. She kicks him in the stomach. She tries to to help Leclerc, who calls her Mon Capitan. Uh, he apparently keeps calling her captain, basically, throughout this whole issue, even though she tells him she's a lieutenant. She's not a captain. Anyway, he tells her that the power is too unstable. It's flooding in from another universe. It's breaking down the wall between worlds. The hole in the air is getting bigger. Within a day, it'll be planet-sized, and then both universes will smash into each other, and that they're doomed. Doomed! And she knows she needs to do something. She doesn't quite understand what she needs to do, but because all she can think about at that point is that she needs to do something, instinctively, her body reacts, and she's sucked into the hole. And she basically, as she puts it, she feels like a cork in a vacuum cleaner. She's plugged it up somewhat and she's absorbing all this energy. Picaro sees that it's happening and that she may be able to save the day, but he also realizes that by doing so, she's probably going to die. And so he takes another shot at Leclerc to finish him off. Monica is there in the rift watching it happen. She sees him pull the trigger. And again, she reacts instinctively, transforms into light, stops the bullet and takes out Picaro. And she closes the rift. She saves the day. She picks up Leclerc. She's leaving the oil platform. One of the soldiers who has seen all this happen, he realizes that she has saved them. He heard Leclerc call her captain. So he starts saying, Capitan est maravilla. I think that's how it's pronounced. Capitan est maravilla. Well, Two days later, we're back at the Harbor Patrol HQ. Monica is in her office. Leclerc comes in. I should mention that when she saved the day, it ruined her costume. Her costume is in tatters. So Leclerc shows up at her office, and he's got in a box a recreation of her costume made by Unstable Molecules. And he tells her, you know, you helped me. You said you just wanted to serve and protect. You have these powers now. I wanted to give you this costume. Now you can really serve and protect. And he once again refers to her as Mon Capitan. And she says, will you stop calling me that? You know darn well I'm only a lieutenant. And he says, oh, not in the eyes of some. And he pulls out a newspaper with a headline that says, Navy investigates explosion. We see the a picture of the oil platform that's on fire. And then underneath it is another headline that says, who is Captain Marvel? And he says, when the Navy got to the oil rig, they found one of the soldiers conscious and hysterical. He kept saying the captain is a Marvel over and over again. So she quits her job with the Harbor Patrol and sets off to seek her fortune as a superhero, which takes us back to the present. She's in New York. Apparently all this energy she absorbed from this rift has been building up inside her and she's starting to feel like she's going to explode. If she doesn't do something about it, she's going to explode and hurt a lot of people. So she's come to New York to find a high-powered scientific muscle, is what she says. And she's using one of those freaking binocular things that you pay for on the observation platform of the Empire State Building to scan the skyline. Well, in the meantime, Spider-Man creeps up on her again. He tries to web her up, but she shoots off at the speed of light. He realizes that she was looking at something through the binoculars. He wants to see what it was she was looking at, but it runs out of time and he needs another quarter to make it work and he didn't have any money on him. So this little kid comes up to him. He's like, hey, you look like Spider-Man. He goes, I am Spider-Man. I need a quarter. It's important. And the kid goes, I'm not giving you a quarter. Spider-Man's not real anyway. I'll tell you what, you prove to me that you're Spider-Man and I'll give you a quarter. So he climbs the wall. 
The kid is impressed and he gives Spider-Man a quarter. Spider-Man looks through the viewers, sees what she was looking at, realizes that it was the headquarters of the Fantastic Four, the Baxter building, and sets off to stop her because he thinks, he still thinks at this point that she's a bad guy, even though she's a foxy chick. Captain Marvel shows up at the Fantastic Four headquarters, which looks like uh, some big battle had been waged there. Everything is in shambles. They don't explain it, but they tell us to check out Fantastic Four, number 242. She runs into the thing and she explains to him what's going on and that if uh, she can't get rid of this energy, she's going to explode like a 1,000 megaton bomb. And he's like, holy crow, that's enough to flatten a city. And he tells her that Reed, unfortunately, is on vacation, but maybe the Avengers could help her. He goes to a control panel. He opens up a line to the Avengers and she decides at that point, look, is that a direct line to the Avengers mansion? And he says, yes. And she goes, OK, well, I can be there quicker. And she turns into radio waves and travels the line to the Avengers mansion. Just as she leaves, Spider-Man comes in. The thing tells her that she's gone to the Avengers mansion and he hopes that they can help her before she explodes. He's like, holy crap, she explodes. And then he takes off to stop her before Ben can tell him, come back inside, you idiot. She ain't no menace. And then he says, oh, nerds, he can't hear me. So back at the Avengers mansion, Iron Man is on monitor duty. The, the call comes in from the Fantastic Four headquarters. He goes to answer it. She shoots out of the radio, which fries his armor. And it kind of sets off all these alarms in the Avengers mansion and at one, and you actually see Jarvis walking down a hallway with some food and lasers shoot at him. So he has to go find Iron Man to find out what's going on. She is trying to help Iron Man at this point. And he said, you know, she tells him what's going on. And he's like, look, well, you can help me. Just give me a little spark across my chest plates, induction nodules, and it will reset my circuit breakers. Iron Man has circuit breakers. Well, she tells him she can't control her power like that. And so he says, oh, well, I'll just have to wait for somebody else to come along and help me. And then that is when just something horrible happens. Jarvis enters the room. He sees Captain Marvel standing over Iron Man. He says, what on earth? And she says, my my power shut down his armor. And he says, shameless trollop. The other Avengers will not let this attack go unanswered. So if you're not aware, trollop basically means a loose woman. It's the same thing as saying whore or slut. And that is, that's Jarvis's go-to here. Sure, she, he may think that she's a villain, but if she was a man, he wouldn't have said, you shameless man whore, you know? It's because she's a woman. That does not paint Jarvis in a very good light. And now I'm going to be, I'm just going to be concerned about him going forward. They Just that one line just sullied Jarvis's reputation for me. It just turned him into something that I've never thought he was before. And that is someone who does not have a very high opinion of women. And it's a real shame that Roger Stern had to put that in this book. Anyway, Spider-Man arrives. He finds Jarvis running through the Avengers mansion looking for help. Jarvis tells him that she's back there in the control room and that she took out Iron Man. 
Ultimately, what ends up happening is Spider-Man finds out that she's not a bad guy. They re- he realizes that she's going to explode. The Wasp has reactivated Iron Man's armor and Iron Man, with the help of Spider-Man and them both being like mechanical geniuses, they are able to stop her from exploding. And then Spider-Man leaves. He goes back to the bus station. He meets Harry and Liz and the issue is over. And then we're told to, if we want to read more about Captain Marvel, we're supposed to read this month's issue of the Avengers. And that's when she officially joins the Avengers team. This, I really enjoyed this book. Like I said, Captain Marvel is one of my absolute favorites. I'm so happy that they're including her in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Again, I'm assuming if they give her a name, they will call her Photon, since we already have a Captain Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I hope she has a really big part in Captain Marvel too. I hope we get to see her in full costume, kicking butt, turning to light, turning into radio waves. I hope she gets her own movie. I hope she gets her own show. She needs to become a big part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I think she's a super interesting character. I think she's got great powers and uh, I'm just glad she's getting, or this character is getting what she deserves because she is, again, my Captain Marvel. But that was the issue. It was it was fun. It was sullied there at the end by Jarvis calling her a whore. But uh, uh, I'm going to try to overlook that because apparently Roger Stern, I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know if maybe he didn't understand what Trollop meant. Obviously, 1981, I, I don't know. I'm not going to try to defend him. It's, it's It was a stupid thing to do. It was a stupid line. It, it, it was it was just a horrible thing to put in a comic book. If he had burst in and, go, and said something like, you evil doer, you stupid person, you freaking maniac, something like that, I would have been fine. But shameless trollop, not cool. Not cool at all. But what are you going to do except spread the word that Jarvis is part of the problem? That's it. That's my episode, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. Be nice to each other. Stay safe. Wear a mask. We're almost through this. I'm out. Good job.